This podcast series has been made possible through an exclusive sponsorship from SA's number one nano-influencer platform, The Salt. Most brands have a communication line to their existing customers, but not a way to get them to have additional positive brand conversations. The Salt solves the problem by identifying brand fans and getting them to talk more about their positive brand experiences. The Salt have a database of over 140,000 registered brand fans and in-depth information on each to perfectly match your brand to the right influencers. Reach out to them now and see what they can do for you. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm a guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle. Please get in touch with us on our Facebook page, follow us, like us, whatever it takes. We would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as I know this industry is capable of. Hey Gordon, another week, another podcast. How are you going? Great. Uh, we are all, I think, you know, making uh, pods uh, as steadily and as positively as we can. Um, excited about today's podcast. You're going to introduce, I guess, in a moment, but uh, you're coming off uh, the excitement of at least being able to watch football again at, at, at Euro 2020. I'm really looking forward to the big one. I think we can call this one the big one, but I'm going to leave you to uh, do the big reveal now. So yeah, making progress. Yeah. Uh, we're all, I think we're all just trying to put the shoulder to the wheel and get on with it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Gordon. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of those big things we all know is that sport is such an uplifting thing. It's such a together thing, etc. Uh, You know, it's the Olympics this year, as we know, and next year it's the big one, the Soccer World Cup. And it's a unique one in Qatar. And uh we're very pleased to, to bring on onto the show today, Brad, Brad Abana. Brad and I go back a long way. Uh, today, Brad has been in, in Qatar for a few years, and he'll tell us his journey and his story and around the lessons for, for marketers out there. He works with the Supreme Committee of Delivery and Legacy, heading up sponsorship uh, and integration and commercial side of it. So, Brad, thanks very much for your time. Welcome on the show. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, yeah, honor and privilege to, to be speaking to, to both of you this afternoon. Thanks, Brad. I mean, let's get straight into it. I mean, you and I have done a lot of work together when you were in South Africa years ago. You're a very experienced sports marketer, both on the right side. You've worked with big organizations, etc. 
and you've managed some of the top properties, uh, and now you find yourself in the wonderful position of working on such a unique property, Soccer World Cup in Qatar. So let's just talk about that. How did it all happen? Take us through the journey. How long have you been there? Has your family settled? And how different is it to South Africa? Um, yeah, Doug, I think um, I, I must admit that I'm not saying this just because of your podcast, but I think uh, part of me as a marketeer comes from from watching guys like yourself, you know, um, not because of how handsome you are in your old age, but um, <laughs> because... That's a blossom, But no, seriously, the way, the way guys like yourself managed uh, sponsorships and how you guys... Uh, try to get a lot out of your your sponsorship rights. I think is something that uh, has benefited me um, as an individual moving to to Qatar, and also to be able to understand what it's like to look after those pennies. You know, uh, the landscape has changed over the last few few years, and um, yeah, you along with uh, a few other marketeers back in South Africa, Happy and Chingila, another one that I can name. You know, have obviously taught me um, some great lessons within the marketing sphere. Um, been in Qatar now uh, for the last seven and a half years, exactly. So um, it's been it's been a journey. You know, um, you can ask any as uh, any expat on their their life lessons, and the one thing is you're always going to miss your family and your friends. Um, but what comes with that is the ability to grow um, both in business and as a business person. Um, and for that, uh, I'll always be grateful to, to the Supreme Committee uh, for bringing out talent to South Africa, uh, from South Africa. You know, um, obviously, the journey for, for Qatar started out in, in South Africa in 2010 already uh, when they won the bid to host the World Cup just after the, the finals in, uh, in South Africa. So, you know, it's, it's a small part of me is quite proud to represent South Africa on, on the stage. Um, yeah, and it's been a journey. My family's been out here with me as well. Uh, we've had, uh, we've, I've got three daughters and two of them were actually born in Qatar. Um, you know, so for them, trying to speak Afrikaans is also something quite strange. Uh, but um, yeah, but I mean, for them, it's, it's, been a, it's been a life lesson, you know, and um, I think if to work on a major tournament like this, the first World Cup to be hosted in the Middle East is part of history. And and for that, I, I think I'm really, really privileged. It is, Brad. Hey, you've, you've talked about that. Yeah, sorry, to, don't, carry no, on. Go on, Gordon, go on. I'm just going to, you, you're talking about being proud of being part of that. I mean, and I know part of your, your journey before Qatar uh, included time at, at SAFA. Um, I was intrigued and in looking at the messaging to, to see, or I perceived it to be built the way we were building it in South Africa in 2010. It was the African World Cup in South Africa was very much the narrative. Is it a similar feel? Is it the Middle East World Cup in Qatar? Is that the sort of ethos? Yep. 100%. So it's the Middle Eastern World Cup. And Qatar always said that when they, they won the bid or the rights to host it. They always said this was for the, the Arab world and it was for the, the GCC and, uh, and, and basically it's for all of them. You know, um, that's what they said. And I think to date, Qatar has proven that they are more brotherly um, than ever before to be able to ensure that the World Cup is open to, to everybody in the GCC area. Yeah, and I think that's fantastic. You know, we touched on it before, Gordon, on previous shows around collaboration between individuals, collaboration between companies, codes, and people, you know. And, and I guess as a, as a world, you know, we've seen so much division through the last few years, you know, from major issues to 
some minor issues that affect all of us. You know, and certainly South Africa has not been spared. So it's nice to hear, Brad, that there's a sense of togetherness, a sense of welcoming, a sense of camaraderie around the nations. And I think one of the lessons that also for young marketers out there, you know, getting to listen to people on the show who've had to leave the shores of South Africa in that uncomfortable position to grow. So again, you know, it's fantastic that, that you've taken that opportunity. And I mean, I know it's going to set you up for, you know, the, the part thereafter uh, in terms of, of, of that. Brad, just quickly, uh, in a snapshot view, what does your job actually entail at the Supreme Committee? What, what do you do uh, and how do you go about that? So I was um, senior sponsors, sponsorship specialist, tongue twister there, uh, for the last six years, six and a half years, um, basically managing uh, the Supreme Committee, which is the organization responsible for um, the, the hosting of the tournament in Qatar. And basically, it was to ensure all the inbound and outbound sponsorships um, for, for Qatar as an entity. Um, obviously, um, a key part of that was to ensure that we sponsored events both locally, regionally and globally, where we could create awareness about the World Cup. Um, you know, FIFA's job is, is quite easy because everybody knows there's a, a FIFA World Cup every two years. But I think part of the of the um, branding, if you want to call it that way, was to showcase where Qatar is and what the developments were in terms of hosting uh, the World Cup. You know, so again, Qatar had to, to build eight stadiums. Uh, sorry, seven. They have eight stadiums. They had to build seven. Uh, one was already erected, which they, they just modified. So, um, yeah, I think my role there was to ensure that we sponsored the correct events globally um, and to provide higher management the ability to to partner with certain um, brands globally to ensure that we can have the necessary support for the World Cup. And uh, I mean, just, uh, you know, just talking brands, uh, Brad, and I mean, one of the biggest issues that has come out of Euro is, is that a whole Ronaldo Coke for Pogba Heineken issue. And I, and, and I just can't uh, help myself talking about Budweiser as an alcohol brand, uh, a major World Cup sponsor in Qatar. How's that going to be handled next year? So in other words, if I go there, is Budweiser going to be advertised? Uh, and let's talk about, you know, can I, as a, as a fan, can I consume alcohol there? How, do, how does that work? Yeah, Doug, I think uh, the Euros and even before that, at some football matches, there was a key lesson in terms of uh, should alcohol actually be sold um, at various footballing events um, or should it be in a controlled environment? Um, I think from our perspective, just, just to touch on it and like... Uh, We've always said uh, there will be alcohol available. Um, this is an Arab country and part of their nature is to be hospitable. Um, but obviously, people need to understand that this is an Arab World Cup and we need to ensure that we form part and parcel of the of the Arab culture and traditions. You know, so there will be alcohol available in certain selected areas. And I think for a compact nature World Cup, that is perfect um, in terms of having places where people can have designated area areas to drink. Uh, coming back to your question in terms of uh, Ronaldo and um, Pogba and all the guys that that I think it's it's a two it's a two-way street on that one. I think sponsors need to be respected irrespective of, of who the player is. Um, you know social media never forgets and there was a picture of Ronaldo promoting KFC. You know, so 
does he have the right to do that to an official World Cup, uh, sorry, to a Euro partner? I don't think so. I, I think it was uh, incorrect to do that. He could have had other pl uh, platforms to show that uh, water is a lot more important for him than, than Coca-Cola. Um, from a religious perspective, I think Pogba, again, I think the sponsor could have, you know, regarded uh, the, the Muslim culture of that. The same way Hashim Amla during cricket never wore Castle Lager on his, on his kit. Um, and that's why I say it's a two-way street. We need to consider the sensitivities around it uh, from a religious basis. Um, but I think players need to understand who play, pays their salaries uh, and allows tournaments to be hosted. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to, to raise the Amla example as a perfect example of, of you know, grown-ups sitting together and coming up with a perfectly acceptable solution for the players, for the fans, for everybody. So it's doable. And, Doc, I, I think I mentioned earlier when we were chatting, I, mean, I went to Euro 2004. And even in 2004 in Portugal, there was no alcohol in the stadiums. Heineken, if I'm not mistaken, was the sponsor. And you could buy Heineken Zeros. And even more so, if I'm not mistaken, no alcohol within a two-kilometer radius of the stadiums. So even those pubs were closed. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. I, I think that was more a dynamic of fan, potential fan violence rather than cultural sensitivity. But either or, it did not in any way detract from anything. And I think, uh, yeah, and yet you, you do also have to be mindful with, with some of the fans. And, and again, not that one wants to dwell on the downside, but some of the footage of English fans at Wembley um, before and after the game. That's just totally unacceptable. So I don't think anybody wants that, whether it's a Muslim country or a Christian European country, whatever. We just don't want that kind of thing in the game. So, yeah, I reckon that, you know, it's fair play. You accommodate everybody and, and we, work, we work into that space. But just coming back to the sponsors, um, I had the, the pleasure of working on Visa in South Africa in 2010. And so it was really interesting to be on that side, maximizing the, the benefit and some of the some of the more uh, kind of identifiable faces are there. The normal suspects, you know, Coke is there, Qatar Airways. You would anticipate, but in the interim, I had lost sight of the differentiation between partners and sponsors. So, why don't you just take us through uh, the partners and sponsors? So partners are added as Coke, Hyundai, Qatar, Visa, the Wonder Group, and I want to come back to that just now. And then sponsors are Budweiser. Parsons, McDonald's, and, and Viva. What's the difference from a, a sponsorship perspective between a partner and a sponsor? Yeah. Sure. So from a uh, FIFA perspective, you have your global, you have your global partners, and, and these are guys that are there across all tournaments. Um, and then you have the, the sponsors, which are there for specific tournaments. And I think that's the key differentiation. And then you've obviously got your, your, regional, your regional sponsors as well. Um, so they've, they've actually broken down the cat. They've changed the model just a little bit. Um, I think that came in just after the Russia World Cup, where they, they started changing the model of how they're going to start packaging their, their commercial program. Um, regional is one specific one where I've been fortunate enough to be able to approach one sponsor in, in terms of GWC for their... 2019 uh, FIFA Club World Cup. And today, a uh, success story is that uh, GWC is now one of the FIFA partners on a regional level. So the structure has changed. Uh, Gordon, if that answers answers the, the question, is the global ones are, are your partners across all tournaments, and then your, your sponsors are World Cup-related sponsors. Hashtag no filter. That's how this podcast is delivering real down-to-earth stories told by real people. 
for an influencer campaign that takes brand conversation to everyday real-life situations, go check out thesalt.co.za. They are the undisputed experts in real influencer marketing. Yeah, and I mean, just getting back to you, you know, thanks for, for clarifying that, Brad, and obviously with a different set of rights and a different set of obligations per, per tier. I mean, just talking a little bit about, um, you know, about some of that stuff, Gordon, in terms of sponsors, I mean, back to the Olympics even, well, I say even, but I mean, the Olympics have, have certainly had uh, their, their fair share of questioning around Coca-Cola, McDonald's as two big sponsors of the Olympics. And again, you know, it's that age-old question and, and it's whether sportsmen eat it, whether they don't eat it, and how much of it a role model and influence. And I guess, you know, Brad, the, I think the point you make is a lot of that stuff needs to be clarified up front. Everyone's got to understand their role in this big, massive machinery called sports marketing. And it's 80 or 90 minutes in the park or hitting a, 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 a shuttle or a tennis ball. But there's a lot of other things that happen and everyone's got to be respectful of all of those, including the gladiators. And I mean, the well-known case of um, Naomi Osaka at the French Open, again, is an example of understanding, really being empathetic to something that is, this isn't a sponsor's issue, but um, around what I would call the gladiator, the person who brings the fan in to understand them as well. But it goes both ways. Brad, just talking a little bit about lessons uh, that you've learned. I mean, obviously, there's a big cultural shift from, from Cape Town. Uh, and so just one or two lessons that you would say have really, that you've really learned and taken on board that will stand you in good stead for, for the rest of your, your marketing and sporting uh, career. Um, Doug, I think I, I, there's a few lessons learned, to be honest with you. I can't single one specific one out. But uh, I think one of the key things for, for me as a marketeer is learning, again, and I admit it openly, from, from people like yourself and, and someone like uh, Happy and Shangila. You know, if I can just focus on him as a, as one as a marketeer and as an individual, you know, his his background in terms of where he comes from, um, from I mean, he he grew up in Soweto, and I'll never forget the stories that he told us of how he was shot uh, during June sixteenth, uh, the riots and stuff, um, to owning one of the biggest black owned. Um, agencies, marketing agencies in South Africa, and then going on to win awards for what was formerly known as a, as a white-only company in terms of APSA. You know, he went and won awards which they've never, ever achieved before. And I think the, the charismatic way and his, um, I don't want to say lone ranger, but his, his, his outward thinking, out-of-the-box type thinking, always stands me in good stead. And I think I learned a lot from, from him as a, as a person, as an individual, um, and as a business person. You know, um, he excelled and he was meticulous in everything that he did within marketing. And, and I think that for me is the one thing that I aspire today is to be nitty gritty about every single commercial or sponsorship aspect, um, both for me uh, as, as the person sponsoring so that the best can be, can be obtained for the brand. Um, and again, if, if you look at what APSA achieved in, in the period that he was there, you know, they, they acquired the, the PSL rights, um, you know, which was massive infiltration in terms of the, in terms of the black market, uh, which APSA wouldn't have seen if he wasn't there, you know. So I think for me personally, having a, a role model that, that you can look at and learn from and then trying to replicate what they did with a little bit of your own touch is probably the big lessons learned for me. Yeah. Thanks. And talking about lessons over over the years, I mean, you know, some of the lessons we learned in 2010. Have, have you found being part of the 2010 home, uh, you know, uh, World Cup, uh, 
gave you a good grounding with the lessons you learned there. What, what and what is what were some of the key points you'd give to to sponsors or people who want to come into lower tier levels of sponsorship? What are the kinds of things they should be looking for as opportunities? Well, it's a it's a very good question, and just until recently, you know, um, there was a question raised about how could we activate better uh, in Qatar. Now, if you've never been here, and I hope that uh, both of you will make your way here next year, um, Qatar basically is, I think, ninety percent along the side the the coastline. You know, so they've got uh, very much of a nice promenade um, within the city centre, and the one thing that came to mind was the fan mile or the fan walk in Cape Town. You know, I think till today, many people will always, always remember walking to, to Cape Town Stadium. Um, and if you were on the fan mile or the fan walk, you, you remember seeing a lot of small businesses along the road, you know, showing cultural elements, uh, proudly South African items. And I think the same can be done here. Um, you know, Qatar's got a beautiful uh, setup um, along the whole country. You know, it's not just desert. Um, the desert is is one attraction, yes, because of what you can do there. But I think some of the lessons learned from South Africa is that from a uniquely positioned um, country, which Qatar is, to represent the Middle East, there's lots of uh, local cultural elements that can be implemented in Qatar. Yeah, and just a plug for sponsors there, Doc, as well. Um, I flew just before lockdown, uh, the whole COVID thing on Qatar Airways, and it's got to be the highlight of my flying experience over the years. So big up to, to them as an airline. If anyone's flying or planning to go to Qatar, let me highly recommend it. It was a five-star experience, even at the back of the plane. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gordon Baird was saying he hopes to see us there, but I mean, do you know anyone who's perhaps got tickets? <laughs> well, I've saved a lot of money for my British Lions tickets. I've got all the money left over, and, and you thank you to the British Lions guys. I've got to say, well, I mean, it's a nightmare for everyone, but they played no. it by the book and put our money back. And I, I'd rather be watching the game, but no. yeah, I think I might invest my British Lions money in Qatar. Yeah. yeah, there's no doubt, Gordon. We'd rather spend the cash and, and then try to save for some more. But that is it is what it is. Um, Brad, I just want to talk a little bit about the legacy. And, and, and one of the big issues always in, in any Olympic or World Cup massive events, you spoke about building eight stadiums. Uh, one was already there. What is the legacy plan, if you can chat about it? What's going to happen to those stadia after, after the tournament? So, Doug, legacy is a major part of Qatar's plans um, in terms of the World Cup. And, again, what they are doing is pioneering the way hosting of a major sporting event should be done. So all the stadiums that are being built now are modular stadiums, meaning that the stadiums are actually demountable. So what Qatar will do post the World Cup is take some of their top tier infrastructure from the stadiums. They will break that down and export it to countries uh, which will be identified to go and build football fields and football stadiums for countries that otherwise wouldn't uh, be able to do it. Um, but at the same time, the legacy is about football to that perspective. Um, one of the stadiums, Rasabud Stadium, is also currently uh, going to be the only stadium that is being built from the bottom up and will be demounted all the way back to the ground post the World Cup. Now, we've never, ever seen that in any other country. And I think that's just a testimony to Qatar's ability to be, one, a sustainable country, and two, to actually have something that is really true legacy post the World Cup. That, that's an amazing story, and I, I followed it with, with great interest. Um, but also just 
coming back to your personal legacy, I, I was really intrigued again from one of your uh, earlier articles about your involvement with uh, SAI, SAI Doha, Said, or however you pronounce it, and and how you guys are are, are building a legacy in terms of the South African culture and the cultural exchange. I really think that's a fantastic initiative. Can we have just a minute or two on that before we, before we lose you? Sure, Gordon. I think one of the things that spurred us on is, has always been about the community, you know, and I think as a, as a country, South Africa has actually lost out in terms of being there and supporting Qatar. You know, I, I genuinely think that a lot more could have been done. Um, but it is what it is, and I think it's up to the community now to showcase how the expats in Qatar can be can be supporting a World Cup, even though it's it's not really their World Cup. Um, it's it's how they can support Qatar to achieve the best for for their World Cup as a community. I've been fortunate enough to be chosen as one of uh, Brand South Africa's uh, global ambassadors, um, you know, and and Brand South Africa have never been been to Doha before. And two years ago, just before the Rugby World Cup final, um, we, we invited Brand South Africa to Qatar to come and see how passionate the South Africans are that are living here, you know, to show them that South Africans are well and alive. And yes, we are still patri patriotic to the South African brand, but to see what a difference that we could make as a community for Qatar. Um, when they were here, we actually hosted a few football events. Um, walking football was one of them. We hosted a cultural event. Um, at the same time, we, we worked with the embassy and we were able to have Chief Mandla Mandela here. So he was able to witness some of the work being done by the community community. Um, you know, so I think from, a, from, from that aspect, we, we as South Africans always need to understand that Qatar is our home and we do need to support every community engagement that actually is out there. Yeah, and I think, you know, yeah, that's outstanding. Uh, sorry, go, go on, Gordon. No, I just said that's outstanding. I mean, uh, that's, that's something I think we should be more cognizant of, whether it's Qatar or anywhere in the world, just that you, you know, you're, you're wearing that flag, you and you're carrying that flag, whether it's at the Olympics or wherever, you know, just carry it with dignity and share it with dignity. Yeah, I think it's also that respect, you know, Gordon, we spoke earlier about, you know, just coming together, collaboration, understanding, mutual respect, all of those things. So, you know, a lot of the time, these, you know, I often, I often say, and I'm often amused by university business schools that offer courses in ethics. I mean, didn't your mom teach you anything when you were five years old? You know, didn't you grow up in a house of manners? Now, a lot of that stuff, Brad, is what you're saying is about having a, a genuine interest in somebody else, having empathy to the differences, because they are, but trying to look past those to find, and, and sometimes you've got to scratch the surface to find the similarity. And once you find the similarity, it may come out in quite a surprising, nice way. And I think that's, you know, it's great that you, that you, you continue to build bridges amongst maybe diverse, I mean, even the South African society border. We've seen horrific weeks of, of, of challenges in South Africa as a society. You know, we, for 27 years, we've been saying, let's get together. Now, I'm not a political analyst, and I don't want to get on my horse, but I am a citizen of the country, and so we want togetherness. And a lot of that stuff, Brad, I'm sure you agree, starts with just respect of the other person, both ways, you know, and an understanding. Brad, I just want to circle back to one point you made about um, learning from other people, all the rest of it, and you made the point about being meticulous uh, in brands. And again, Gordon, you know, we've spoken, uh, you know, over the last two years to quite a few brand leaders, and, and a lot of the time they talk about things like understanding the science, understanding the business, and so often I found that in the sporting space, it gets, it's such a lack of thing to do that you become a fan, 
and you don't become the brand manager. And one of the things you've got to guard against is wanting to be in the president's suite, singing the anthem with your wife. You know what I mean? Being the first guy in the locker I used to hate that, is being a guy in the locker room. That's not your place. You didn't play on the park. And I think it's such an important lesson, Brad, is to, is to separate the niceness and the fun activity of being in sport, but you're in the business of sport, not the playing of the sport. And I think it's you know such an important yeah. thing for me, for young, for any market mean, out there. Uh, Doug, you know, I think um, I, I agree with you, but if you, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention sponsors' names on here, but there's uh, the main sponsor of uh, Western Province Rugby. Oh, sure, mention you know, anybody, yeah, DHL. You know, yeah, if you take DHL, um, myself, Kyle and Salwin were, were the three that actually got them on board, came and met with the guys, uh, I think it was 2011, you know, um, and it was signed because of the passion of uh, the people who weren't even South Africans at the time, believe it or not, um, you know, it was an English and a German guy working for 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 DHL at the time, and and they just loved the the camaraderie about what the players brought to it. You know, if I if I think back, I think there was guys like Skalkberger, you know, and I think it was uh, Franz Malherbe at the time to find out, you know, who uh, who the new sponsor might be. But Doug, if you look at if you look back at this, the history of their particular sponsorship, you know, the the sponsors like DHL have gone into the change room. They've gone and listened to the players. They've gone and listened to what the coaches have to say. Yes, there, there, there was union guys to listen to. And yes, there was a CEO to listen to. But I think the relationship with DHL has lasted this long because they have an open, rela open relationship with the players. Yeah. You know, and I think that is very, very key in terms of why it's been so successful. Newlands is closed down. DHL could have said, well, thank you very much. We're leaving, you know. Um, but they've gone and renewed again. So... Yeah, the locker room might not be important um, on certain levels, but I think if 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 properties like, let's just use uh, Stormers as an example, if they allow the the sponsor into the change room, if they allow the engagements that they do to to happen, you know, you take also at the same time you you, you take what has happened to Western Province Rugby. It's, it, it hasn't been pretty at all, but you have uh, you have DHL there with them till till the fighting end. No, sorry, Brad. Maybe wow. I'm just, maybe I'm just said it. I, I, I'm well aware of, of that war room that you guys created with someone, and we certainly yeah. participated and we loved it. But that was a different. I'm talking about, you know, when you get the market, they're trying to run in after the game, when the guys are trying to just, you know, get a rub down or have a team draw. That was the part that I referred to. You, you know, you're more of a fan. I've worked with guys, they can't wait to get onto the field for, for the warm up. I'm saying, but to do what? You know, it's fine. You know, and I know the guys at DHL. And I mean, also, you know, I just want to have a plug to, to, to Kyle and someone when they move their business onto London this year. So it's a fantastic road. And I know yeah. you play that such an integral part. Brad, um, unfortunately, we're running out of time. You know, it's just we could chat yeah. forever in a day. I'm going to leave Gordon to close it out. But from my side, it's great chatting with you again. Uh, we must really catch up when, when you're next in this part of the world if I'm in, uh, in the Middle East. Um, so, Brad, just lastly, how do people get hold of you? They want to find out, do they want to chat? Are you on a social platform they can get hold of? Yeah, one of the key things for the Brand South Africa ambassador role was to actually be available on social media. So, um, yeah, yeah, I am available on social media, uh, Brad H212 on Instagram. Uh, Facebook is more personal one. And obviously, I'm available on LinkedIn as well as, uh, as Bradley Abana. So, yeah, welcome anybody who has any questions with regards to Qatar, um, like what's it's like living here, what sports like here, you know, and, and I'd be more than happy to to host anybody, um, not just from South Africa, but Africa as well, that wants to come and explore the country for and see what, what a difference they're making in football and sports.
Thanks, Brad. Marvellous. Fantastic. Marvellous, Brad. Thank you. I believe Gordon to close it out. Thanks very much. Thanks, and Doug. we'll catch up soon. For sure. Great. Thanks, Doug. And all the best to you guys. Thank you. And Brad, thank you. I mean, I think if, it, if there's one takeout for me, because I, I look at multiple layered sponsorships and, and that you can see who's being opportunistic and who, and who is genuinely engaged. And that thought there that the sponsorship begins in the change room for me is the takeout statement of the day. So thanks once again for your time. Look forward to seeing you uh, in Doha one of these days and in Qatar for the, uh, the World Cup uh, next year. Thank you for flying the flag and uh, keeping us proud. And thanks for being here today. Ciao thanks, Jen. Totally appreciate it. And all the best over there. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. This podcast series has been made possible by The Salt, the influencer company that turns influence into affluence. In the same way that information is presented in this podcast in a relatable and authentic way, The Salt gets your customers to tell their real brand stories to their community. Go to thesalt.co.za to learn more about how The Salt can help you grow your business.